Lovely. So we're um, talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus, who are models of what it means to be a Christian. So can I have some uh, 12 twos, just to warn you, any 12 twos in the room? I'll be borrowing you shortly. You have been warned. It's all right, it's nothing embarrassing, Sarah. Um, Can I have some ideas of what you might see in a model Christian person? What virtues, what characteristics might you see in a model Christian person? Don't all shout at once. Love, I love it. Anything else? Self-control, fabulous. Joseph? Oh, do you want do you want to speak into the mic? Okay, Hannah, could you write self control? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Go on. Go on. Go on. Um, there is actually blood in the human's body. <laughs> There is blood in the human body. That's absolutely right. They probably have blood pumping around them. Good point. Good point. Sophie, what would you see? What would you suggest you, you might see in a, in a good model of a Christian? Joy. That's right. You would see joy. I see a lot of joy in you, Sophie. That's for sure. Any other ideas? I feel like Annika Rice. I always wanted to be Annika Rice when I was younger. Patience. Patience, lovely. Yes, please. Joy, patience. Anything else? Cake. I love it, Jan. There's a lot of cake. Oh, beg your pardon. Happiness. Happiness, absolutely. Thank you. Anything else? Goodness. There was one of me. Kindness. Great, I think that's... Oh, faithfulness. Let's have faithfulness too. Cool. Uh, can I have some 12-2 volunteers here, please? You're just going to take a sticky and give it to someone. That's it. You can handle that. I know you can. Come on. <laughs> so I was thinking about how encouraging the sun was yesterday. Didn't that brighten everyone's mood? And sometimes words of encouragement from people can brighten our mood. So guys... Could you take three each and have a look at this wonderful congregation of people and think who has this attribute that you have on your post-it and give it to them. You're going to encourage them and say, I think you are very patient. I think you're very kind. Go on. Three, two, one, go. Or to each other. Who's faithful? Great. Oh, see, it's encouraging. Which, which one did you get, Hannah? Kindness. <laughs> Lovely. So I would encourage you to learn from those people around you, whatever age you are, whether you're four or 94, we can still be learning from the good examples around us, can't we? We can still be learning um, what patience looks like, what kindness looks like, and um, I'm not going to steal any more of Laura's thunder. Oh, no. 
that's, yeah. Great. <laughs> right, I'm going to pray, and the kids and anyone else who might be interested are going to go for forest school, I'm assuming, out the back door. You're following Jenny. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for our wonderful children. I thank you uh, that they go from four all the way to 84. And Lord Jesus, we pray that we would always have that childlike attitude of worship towards you. I pray they would connect with you in Forest Church today, that they would hear your voice and know your encouragement. Amen. Marvellous. While they shuffle out and make a bit of a racket in doing so, probably, turn to the person next to you and say something encouraging that you see in them. Hopefully it's not that hard. Marvellous. For those of you who received a post-it earlier, what I'd like you to do with that post-it later um, over coffee is find one of the 12 twos and give it to them and say, I think you're kind, I think you're patient, I think you're loving, etc., etc. And if anyone wants to make some more post-its for the 12 twos to say how wonderful they are, go for it. We've got a lot of post-its, turns out. Laura. Let's pray for you. Oh, hold on. Oh, sit back down. Sorry, I'm reading the passage. I said I was going to read the passage, didn't I? I won't drink your water. Don't worry. <laughs> for those of you with Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them at Philippians chapter 2. Or switch them on, whichever way you're going. So I'm going to read... Um, some of Philippians chapter 2 that was covered last week and then also this week's passage, just so you know. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, 
not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And then skipping ahead to verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, not only, not, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and that I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Amen. Laura, come on up. Let me pray for you. Is, is it just that, that back page? That's it. Yeah. Four lines. It's going to be quick. <laughs> a lot faster than the last one so breathe easy Lord Jesus we thank you so much for Laura we thank you for her joy and her humility and we thank you for the word that she has prepared Uh, I ask Heavenly Father that you alight on her words that they would inspire and encourage us and that we would have hearts tender and soft ready to hear them Amen Amen. I actually don't need it do I? do I need the mic? yeah Yeah. okay I'll use the mic. It's going to be really loud if I use the mic. Thanks for doing the reading. Saves everybody hearing my voice for the reading as well. So, um, um, morning, everybody. Um, uh, It's great to have a chance to kind of prepare something and have the discipline of of learning stuff, you know, of of learning stuff as I kind of prepare it to kind of preach it. So, um, I don't know if you were here last week, but Ivan Ivan spoke on uh, improving our serve, which was very funny. Uh, it was very entertaining, uh, and he talked about imitating the humility of Jesus in a very worldly world. So um, he did all that lovely stuff about it's very difficult being a Christian in the world. I don't really have to do too much now, so I can just talk about Timothy and Epaphroditus. So following on from that and following on from what Anna read, uh, I thought it was necessary to go back a little bit in the chapter to just as a backdrop to Timothy and the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus. So following on from uh, here, in chapter two, we find that Paul uh, builds on previous teaching in Philippians, uh, and it goes on to prompt a response from the Philippians, uh, which we read there. So um, if we pop slide two up, 
um, yeah, kind of something like this. So uh, he views that personal response uh, from the Philippians as, as a sort of a natural outcome. Uh, and we read further back there, because or since they are now united with Christ, uh, they should be enjoying lots of benefits from that union. So Paul says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, uh, uh, but in humility consider others better than yourselves and look not only to your own interests but also to the interests of others. And he says your attitude, attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. So we then go on in the chapter to read about this amazing, what I'm going to call a Jesus poem, and which people call a, G, a Christ hymn or a Jesus poem. They're a bit about Jesus being humiliated and then exalted. We go on to read about that and about Christ putting aside all the privileges of his equality with God uh, to take the form of a servant, dying on the cross, and, and therefore demonstrating to us that he's the perfect example, really, of putting the interests of us and others ahead of his own interests. Uh, so today, as we look at a later passage uh, of Timothy and Epaphroditus, honestly, the number of times I've written that this week is ridiculous. So <laughs> as we look at that later bit, we see Paul stepping away from the theology bit we see him kind of stepping away from that theology in the earlier parts of Philippians and instead he begins to write about what seem to be minor matters mundane matters of uh, ministers who go to visit the Philippians uh, outlining details of comings and goings of people like Timothy and Epaphroditus it's like who's coming now who's going to come later that kind of thing so why does Paul step suddenly make this jump this leap uh, to give details about sending Timothy uh, in what's a really kind of theological uh, big bit, of, bit of Philippians. Uh, as always, uh, there seems to be a little bit more to it than meets the eye. <laughs> so that'll be uh, what I'm talking about today. Uh, if we flip to slide three, that'd be awesome. Oh, let's have a little drink, chat amongst yourselves. <laughs> probably should have. So in, in the endorsement of Timothy and Epaphroditus in this section, uh, Paul honours these two men uh, with the highest possible praise. Um, he's basically saying that they resemble Jesus. They look like Jesus, so they resemble the pattern of the life of Jesus. So as we begin to look at the passage, it's, it's worth mentioning now that I find for me there seem to be parallels in the stories of these two men that point us directly uh, to Jesus and his walk. And I kind of sensed was a, it was a bit like a soundtrack, just playing in the background, uh, just echoes really, reminding us of the journey and life of Jesus. Uh, and I sensed a sense that they're following in his footsteps, uh, little echoes that resonate kind of in and out of their lives. So essentially Paul is telling us here through Timothy and Epaphroditus how to take all the Christ-like, cross-shaped, servanthood theology and apply it to everyday life so it's nice because it's a very practical outworking of all that theology so they're both examples of what christ-like humility looks like in really real life for us so let's start with uh, with timothy so we've got a slide four ben thank you uh, so i haven't done multiple slides you're just going to have to look at this and listen to me for a bit so so how does Timothy show us what humility looks like in real life? 
And I've said through, through Timothy's life, we see that humility is, uh, number one, loyal. Uh, so we see in, the, in this passage, we're not told the details, but we see in this passage that Paul, Timothy's here supporting Paul. Paul's in Rome, in prison, under guard. And Timothy's by his side as he waits the outcome of his trial. Timothy's shown that he's prepared to accept personal risk, uh, maybe even loss or harm, in order to support Paul through his imprisonment uh, and trial, and thus putting the interests of Paul above his own interests. Uh, Tim- in Timothy 2, Paul writes to Timothy and says this, You know that everybody, everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. And here again in Rome, Paul is isolated. And we also see in Acts 15 when Paul didn't think it was wise to take John Mark on a continuing journey because, I quote, he deserted them in Pamphylia and hadn't continued with them in the work. So throughout Paul's letters, we see that others had abandoned Paul at times of need uh, in his ministry. But Timothy has stuck with him through thick and thin. And he wasn't afraid. Timothy is the sort of man who wasn't afraid to pin his colours to the mast uh, to risk his personal safety to support Paul when things looked a bit tricky and difficult. So basically, when the going got tough, the tough got going. And I just put a note, no matter how much you persuade me to sing that, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> second, second point. Um, so through Timothy's life, we see that humility is also uh, loving. So Paul says of Timothy in verse 20, I have no one else like him. He takes a genuine, genuine interest in your welfare. Uh, I've written here, as Christians, we're not automatically like this. Paul's saying we're not automatically necessarily like this. In this statement, Paul's saying that most of us don't necessarily take an interest in the needs and welfare of others. And he goes on to say this in verse 21. Everybody looks out for his own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. This is quite a sobering statement for us as Christians. I don't think Paul's given us a telling off. I think he's just saying it as it is. Uh, we don't seem to be always able to go beyond our, no, our own needs and see what it is that God requires. Timothy, however, is a living example of Philippians 2.4. Each of you should look not just your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You should be similar in attitude or the same in attitude as Jesus. So Paul is telling the Philippians that Timothy genuinely cares Uh, more for their their welfare than his own comfort. I think it's worth highlighting here that when Paul says, look not only to your own interests, he's not saying don't look to your own interests. Uh, He's saying it's okay to look to your own interests, but don't stop there. Go further than that, look beyond your own interests and also consider the interests of others. And secondly, when Paul says of Timothy, I have no one else like him, it apparently accurately, more accurately translates as I have no one equal or equally minded. Uh, I suspect that probably means equally minded with Paul, but I'm sure it also means equally minded with Christ. Uh, There was no one that Paul uh, was willing to send, none other than himself who he felt was up to the task of helping out the Philippians Uh, except Timothy. He was the one exception. Again, I had a sense of, uh, there was a ring of familiarity about this. Uh, Jesus, the unique one and only son of God, 
an exact representation of the Father and equally minded with him is sent to usher in the kingdom of heaven. And just as Jesus became the messenger of heaven, so Timothy becomes the messenger of Paul, really, like a representation of his person in Philippi. So he was the one who Paul trusted to do the job, just as he himself would have done it. Timothy was the one who would undertake a long journey back to uh, Philippi, help the church out. So we see Timothy as the exception, and we see Timothy as exceptional. And finally, in this bit about uh, Timothy being loving and like no one else. Paul goes one step further. He says in verse 21, he speaks of everybody not looking to the interests of Christ, uh, but looking up for themselves. And I think Paul is telling us that Timothy is, is different. I think he's saying he has a mind that is not just equal to Paul's, but is, is equal with Christ. And a sense of a mind in agreement with Christ. And I think he's shown us that Timothy has an extraordinary devotion to Jesus and his mind is set not just on earthly things but on the things of the kingdom. Uh, Timothy's not afraid to countenance and share in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of the gospel. In Matthew 16, 23, when Peter refuses to even think about Jesus taking the way of the cross, Jesus tells him, you are a stumbling block to me, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And this is Peter, who went on to be awesome. Timothy, however, is prepared to take the way of the cross and share in the sufferings of Christ for the gospel. And he will literally go anywhere or do anything that Paul and the Lord requires of him. Uh, So we also see through Timothy's life that humility is something that's seen by other people. It's visible. So Paul says of Timothy in verse 22, you Philippians know that Timothy has proven himself. You know he's proven himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So the Philippians have already seen Timothy in action at Philippi, uh, faithfully working alongside Paul in ministry. And they know firsthand that Timothy has proven his worth. There's been plenty of visible evidence to back up Paul's praise of Timothy. He's been steadfast and reliable, visibly demonstrating his worth and character as he's just got on with the job at hand. Timothy had been through hard times and yet continued serving others. He had a strong, proven record of standing firm. And that had been witnessed by Paul and witnessed by the Philippian church He put aside his personal interest to follow Paul in mission and do what needed to be done. Fourth point, through Timothy's life, we see that humility is hardworking. In verse 21, uh, Paul says this, as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Uh, It's worth noting that served is better translated as slaved. So it's like he slaved with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy is a dedicated worker who's quietly put in the long hours, doing what needed to be done for the ministry to go forward and for people to be cared for. Uh, One example of Timothy's hardworking approach is uh, the long, unpredictable, possibly dangerous journey that he's about to be sent on as Paul's messenger. And it, it seems to me that this affectionate endorsement of Timothy by Paul sits intentionally in the shadow 
of the preceding Christ poem that we read about. Um, by way of reminder, we read that the father sends his one and only unique son to humble himself as a slave or servant to the point of death, even death on a cross. We get the same sense with Paul and Timothy here. Uh, it's like a father-son relationship where the father, Paul, is sending his son and the son, Timothy, is executing the wishes of the father. In John 5, 17, Jesus says, uh, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. Uh, John tells, the Jews, tells us that the Jews were furious at this claim uh, because calling God his own father, uh, he was making himself, Jesus was making himself equal with God. So like Father God and Jesus, Paul and Timothy are also of one mind, uh, equally minded, uh, together, unified in mission, uh, to get on, with their, get on with their job with the gospel. In ancient culture... Uh, if your father was a carpenter, you would become a carpenter too. Uh, is that my time? Is that my time? Is that? I'll stop, happily stop. <laughs> Are you about to blow up in four minutes, Catherine? I'm not sure. Anyway. So like Father God and G, uh, sorry, uh, if your father was a carpenter, you become a carpenter too, following in your father's footsteps. So you would continue the family business like your, your father did, you know, before you. So this is the image that Paul seems to be portraying here. Uh, he's deliberately invoking the image of a father and son working together for the same task of the gospel. Uh, and finally for Timothy, uh, through Timothy's life, we see that humility means that he is, is sent as a messenger. He's one who is sent. He's being sent. So finally, in verse 19, Paul describes Timothy as a messenger. He says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. We all know that being a messenger is not a virtue produced by humility, uh, but rather it's because of his humility uh, that Timothy becomes one who is sent. He becomes a worthy messenger sent by one who is greater. He's a special chosen representative sent to carry out the wishes of the sender, a personal representative of Paul. There is an echo here of the cross, a reminder of the greatest messenger of all. I think there's an echo of someone greater, something greater that has gone before and continues on through the life of Timothy. A messenger, Timothy, a messenger to come later, a messenger carrying on the family business, a messenger going about his father's business. So we're going to go to slide five and look at uh, Epaphroditus. Is everybody okay? I need a drink. <laughs> This little quote was quite good for people like me. Can you read it? Humility is a strange thing. The minute you think you've got it, you have lost it. Uh, this is a little bit shorter, so... Oh, hang on. So how does Epaphroditus show us what humility looks like in real life? So in the life of Epaphroditus, we see humility as, uh, number one, brotherly love. It's interesting that it, the name Epaphroditus, I'll refer to this in a minute, is derived, uh, Ron's going to be very happy with me if I get this right, and then he said Roman God, and I thought, oh, maybe it's Greek. And so uh, 
Epaphroditus apparently is derived from Aphrodite, the Greek god of love. So his name means love, which is great in this kind of passage, which is full of love and affection, really. So, but it also means devoted. So in, in Epaphroditus' life, you see humility uh, expressed as brotherly love. Uh, so at this stage, um, we know very little about Epaphroditus, uh, except what's recorded here. His name is uh, from the Greek uh, Aphrodite, god of love. So he's probably from a Greek pagan background uh, and likely came to faith through Paul's ministry. Uh, his name can also mean devoted, meaning very loving or loyal. And this is interesting, as we've already seen that there are similar qualities evident in Timothy. Uh, the loyalty of Epaphroditus is evident in his commitment to supporting Paul and also the fellow believers at Philippi. There's a strong sense of affection and love that runs through the book of Philippi. Uh, Philippians, I should say, the book of Philippians. So with his conversion, Epaphroditus has become a devoted brother to Paul and to the fellowship of believers at Philippi, where I presume he's likely to be a leading figure highly respected and loved. Uh, there's a strong sense of genuine love between him and Paul and the church at Philippi. And we're told in verse 26, he longed for them and was distressed because they heard he was ill. And the Bible tells us in John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this, than a man lays down his life for his friends. And Epaphroditus is a living example of this. He was prepared to put his own life at risk to meet the needs of his friends. Now, we don't know why Epaphroditus became ill, but we do know that he undertook a long, tiring journey uh, to minister to the needs of Paul and would also return to minister to the needs of those at Philippi, uh, to the, uh, the believers there. So secondly, uh, in the life of Epaphroditus, uh, we see humility as a fellow worker. In verse 25, Paul describes Epaphroditus as a fellow worker or co-worker. Uh, the idea of being drawn together in common mission uh, with common shared workloads is contained in this uh, description. I suspect Epaphroditus did more than his fair share of preaching, uh, ministering, uh, serving tables, administrating, pastoring, and so on. He, he was likely to be the kind of person you would want to have by your side if you were in Paul's predicament. This is my kind of notion of him, a really positive brother who would naturally attract and motivate others uh, to get on with the job of helping. Uh, the emotional strain that Paul would have been enduring, uh, being in prison, awaiting the outcome of his trial, would have lightened considerably with such a helper uh, by his side. It's worth noting that a further definition of devoted is the giving of one's time and resources to another. So Epaphroditus seems well fitted and thus very well prepared to work hard for and alongside other people. I'll have a quick drink. So thirdly, uh, in the life of Epaphroditus, we see humility uh, as a fellow soldier. Paul further describes Epaphroditus as a fellow soldier. 
And he knew that he was partnered with a good soldier who would stand his ground in common warfare for the church and for Paul himself in his current predicament. Contending for the faith, side by side with a seasoned warrior like Epaphroditus, Paul would have been heartened and spiritually and emotionally strengthened for the fight. At the end of his life, in his letter to Timothy, Paul tells him, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Like Paul, Epaphroditus was willing to step up and struggle hard for the church, uh, prepared to battle hard in spiritual warfare for the good of other people. And it's clear that in the absence of Epaphroditus back at Philippi, that was having a significant effect of the church and the situation back home and prompting Paul to be in a serious hurry to get him back there, uh, regardless of it being to Paul's detriment. So he was a good soldier. And fourthly, in the life of Epaphroditus, we see humility as a committed encourager of others. Debbie, you're right. <laughs> Sneaking out. Being previously dispatched by the church at Philippi, Epaphroditus gave up his home comforts and personal convenience in order to undertake a long, uncertain and lengthy journey to strengthen Paul. And we know that this was to the detriment of his own health. In verse 24, or 26 and 7, Paul says this, you heard he was ill. Indeed he was ill and almost died. And now Paul is keen to send him back to encourage the Philippians who are very unsettled and divided. And Paul knows that when Epaphroditus returns to the Philippian fold, that their hearts will be gladdened. It seems that he might be the necessary glue that heals the division and reunites the believers. And finally, in the life of Epaphroditus, we see humility as one who is sent. Again, like Timothy, a messenger. In verse 25, Paul writes, I think it's necessary in the interim bracket to send Epaphroditus back to you. He's my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger who you sent to take care of my needs. So he is to and froing from Epaphroditus. He's willing to go there and then go there and then go back there because he's just that kind of guy. Um, so Epaphroditus has been sent uh, by the church to support Paul. Now he's been sent back to Philippi to the, to the believers who don't yet know if he's dead or alive. They haven't got phones, Carol. They haven't got phones. They haven't got phones, whoever's on the phone all the time. They can't just send a mobile text. He's great, he's fine, it's all okay. So he had to travel a long distance to let them know he was still living. So when it was preparing, I had, a, 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 again, a sense of familiarity with the story, and it reminded me, and you might think I'm going to step too far, but I don't really care. It reminded me of the gospel account of Jesus returning from the work of the cross, uh, returning to encourage the disciples, returning with proof of life, and returning to restore unity to a discouraged church. And Paul has chosen to send Epaphroditus back, carrying a message of encouragement uh, to the church, uh, written in Paul's own handwriting. So the faithful service of Epaphroditus is recorded here in scripture, written down in a letter to the church, and his faithfulness is backed up by the authority of the written word. The letter endorses Epaphroditus the messenger and carries the words of the sender, 
And Epaphroditus is returning with word of life, not death. He's demonstrating in his returning presence that he is fully alive because of God's mercy. And we see Epaphroditus here as an encourager to Paul and an encourager to the church at Philippi. We see Epaphroditus walking literally in the footsteps of the master. So I'll have another quick drink. So we're just going to wrap up and think about what does this mean for us really? So we just, uh, and we'll leave that for a second actually. We're okay for a minute. How many more slides have got left, Ben? Just one? I'll save that for a minute. You're going to hate it. I was going to, I'll tell you later. (laughs) So, uh, wrapping up, uh, having having considered the lives of Timothy and Epaphroditus, what are the challenges we now face? Um, How on earth are we supposed to take uh, the example of Jesus and imitate his humility? And how are we supposed to emulate such a great pair of believers? It's difficult to know what to say in terms of application because we've kind of already done that so the whole passage that we've looked at uh, is a living example uh, of how to do it uh, Timothy and Epaphrodite is just showing us how to do it basically uh, there'll no doubt be plenty of opportunities for us this week uh, and in, in the weeks ahead to practice humility in similar ways and I even made a nod to this last week which is very helpful it's not just about who it's what we do habitually do uh, that reflects her character. It's not what we say. What was that quote, Ivan? The Durant quote? Something along the lines of, our character is not just who we are. It's about the, you know, it's not just a thing. It's like, it's, it's more borne out in how we practice repeatedly small acts and habits. Uh, sorry, Ivan, put me on the spot. <laughs> so, uh, in rounding off, Please don't send in letters about my theology and all that stuff. It's reasonably safe to please here we are. It's reasonably safe to say that what we're not is Jesus. Um, I don't want to get into debate about how much of Jesus we have in us and all that. So what we're not is Jesus. Jesus is the unique Son of God, and He had a unique job to do, and His humility was far superior uh, and unlike any other. He's the supreme example of humility for us. Humility of mind lived out in action. But, and this is helpful for me and hopefully helpful for you, because Timothy and Epaphroditus are like us, Paul places them here intentionally as an example to us of how to practice Christ-like humility in everyday life. And as we revisit the Christ poem in verse 6 to 11, uh, we read this. Uh, Jesus, uh, being in very nature God, made himself nothing, uh, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, he humbled himself. In the same way, we, though not in very nature God, but finding ourselves in our new nature, in the likeness of him, as partakers of his divine nature, we can also, like him, make ourselves nothing, taking on the nature, the very nature of a servant. Christ was made in human likeness and is still being made in human likeness in us. Christ is formed in us through the work of the Holy Spirit and he is still working in and through us even to this very day. And just a final 
thought I couldn't resist because it was just there to be taken. If we pop up that final slide. It's very appropriate of our king to, uh, to have his coronation just before I need to speak on this. I'm very grateful to him. Quick phone call there. It was sorted out. So a final thought. I popped this up for Ruth and she's not here, so I thought she'd be delighted with me for having a picture of Charles up there. So you have to tell her that I did it for her and she's not here. So a final thought. Charles, our newly crowned king, finding himself in very nature royal, pledged himself in service. Charles was anointed for service, not in fine royal robes of a king, but in the garb of a servant. We too, like him, find ourselves as heirs of a kingdom, uh, clothed in royal robes and seated in the highest of places. The same challenge awaits us, the royal anointed priesthood of God. Are we able to say, along with our king, in his name, that's Jesus, the king of kings, and after his example, that's Jesus, the servant king, are we able to say, along with Charles, our new king, in his name, and after his example, I come not to be served, but to serve. So I think I'll just round off there, because that does it better than I do. <laughs> uh, so amen. I'm just going to pray, and then we'll just do some worship. Debbie, did I keep the time? No, did I keep the time? Not you. You're on time. I'm kind of like, I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about me. Okay. <laughs> so let's just have a quick, quick pray. Uh, we thank you, God, for your word. Uh, we thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. Uh, and we're relieved, Father God, that we're not left to our own devices uh, as we try to figure out the practical outworking of our faith. It's the working of your Holy Spirit in us that causes us to will and to act in a way that pleases you. With our offering, our service received as a fragrant and pleasing sacrifice. We ask for your help, Holy Spirit, to recognise the works that you have planned in advance for us to do this week and in the days ahead. And Lord Jesus, we ask for your help to respond to the impulses and promptings of your Holy Spirit as we get on with the business of life. May we be of those who have room to be getting on with the Father's business too. We love you, Lord. We're grateful for your presence with us. Uh, please help us to be those who make ourselves available to you. Amen.
um, I felt I came with a word this morning and it didn't make sense until Laura shared, so that's good. Um, we got a new uh, garden table and it is a bit battered. I sanded it down yesterday and I painted it and it looks better now. Looks nice, as these things do. But I felt like there was an encouragement for some people that maybe you're feeling a bit battered and a bit covered in dust, and actually you need a bit of a, a bit of a shake up, a lick of paint, an encouragement, basically, to be who you were created to be. So, were you created to be a co-worker, a soldier, a brother, a sister, a messenger? A committed encourager. I definitely feel like someone here is a committed encourager, but you step back. And my challenge for you would be to step forward to encourage, because people need encouragement. To echo the life of Jesus. I feel like for some of you, there's a definite encouragement to hear the Father's encouragement, to know again who you are. But for some of you, is actually... Um, is there something new that you haven't done before, you haven't practiced that much that maybe you could be doing afresh? And so Holy Spirit, I thank you that you have made us all with a good purpose, that you delight when we are about your business. Heavenly 